Please join me in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Ludwig von Beethoven is one of the most talented composers of music in history. And he struggled with hearing loss throughout all of his life to the point that as an adult he was actually completely deaf. And it was very difficult for Beethoven when he would be performing in front of crowds, usually with his back to the audience so that they could see the the keyboard, for him to get a sense of their reaction, their enjoyment of the music. And even when he would turn, he didn't hear the applause. It was more just the visual imagery that he would see. Samuel L. Jackson, one of today's leading Hollywood movie stars, had severe stuttering as a child. And the only reason he considered acting was when his speech therapist had encouraged him for weeks and weeks and weeks to try it. And amazingly, it was when he was performing on stage that his stuttering came under control. Charles Dickens, an author that many of us have read sometime in our life, author of A Christmas Carol and Oliver Twist and many others, suffered from epilepsy. And he wrote about it in such detail in many of his writings as characters who had epilepsy that doctors are still amazed at the insight and the insightful way that he described this terrible disease. Tom Cruise perhaps needs no introduction, but is one of the most famous Hollywood celebrities now. Tom Cruise attended 15 different schools over a period of 12 years, and he suffered greatly from dyslexia, which was undiagnosed until much later in his life. He found little or no support at home from his father, and he grew up to become one of the highest paid actors in Hollywood today. Christy Yamaguchi was born with a club foot. And after a number of different attempts to correct the club foot out of desperation, her parents signed her up for ice skating as a type of therapy. She won the Olympic gold medal for figure skating in 1992. Chief Military Commander Naaman of Aram, what today we know as Syria, led the Aramean army to victory over its arch enemy, Israel. He's often described as a great man, a man who achieved everything that a military commander could want or dream of and all the public honor and accolades that go along with it. However, in spite of all of his greatness and all of his work and all of his accomplishments, Naaman had a pretty significant major problem. He had a terrible skin disease, and it was not just a little bit of 
pimples here or a little bit of dry skin or a rash. It was what some scholars believe is leprosy or perhaps even worse, but one that carried with it during his time such a heavy social stigma that he, was off, that he would have normally been ostracized. And the disease at that time was often associated with death. But Naaman, somehow or another, through ways that we don't know, must have been creative and so talented enough that despite his terrible disease, he was able to achieve phenomenal things in his life. And yet the disease still plagued him so much that he wished his deepest desire was to get rid of this disease. So one day, a young captive girl, an Israelite, in fact, a, a young slave girl that had been captured during his overtaking of the land of Israel, who served his wife, made a little suggestion to Naaman's wife. And he, she suggested, you know, if the commander, Naaman, wanted to be cured, he really should just seek help from, from this prophet that we know of in my homeland, this prophet who, who is in Samaria, Elisha. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking that if I were a slave captive girl for the greatest commander who had just conquered my country's army, she's pretty bold for speaking up and for feeling like she has enough confidence in this prophet that there is hope. But somehow or another, there was some credibility, some perhaps out of a sense of desperation, but somehow or another, her message made it all the way through to the king of Aram, who would have been Naaman's boss. And this king wrote a letter to his counterpart in Israel. And the letter said, please, whatever you do, help Commander Naaman be healed. Now, to put this into context, a little bit more context that we can understand, imagine from the first Gulf War back in the 1990s, imagine... General Norman Schwarzkopf. Remember Storm and Norman? Storm and Norman, who was in the commander of the coalition forces of the 1991 Gulf War. Imagine Storm and Norman, after the Gulf War had ended, after the U.S. and all the allies had pulled out of Kuwait, out of, the, um, out of Iraq and the Kuwaiti area, going back to Saddam Hussein and taking him gifts and jewels and money and everything else that he could, and presenting him with a letter from President George W. Bush, and saying, please, Saddam Hussein, please do whatever you can to heal General Schwarzkopf of his awful disease. Now, to me... That is unimaginable. There is just no way that Bush would have done that, that Schwarzkopf would have. I mean, imagine Hussein's reaction. And so the king of Israel gets this letter when Naaman, the general commander, shows up at his door with his entourage, and he's got money and gold and silver and perfume and jewels and everything else that we can imagine from the land of Syria, and he presents it to the king of Israel along with this letter proclaiming, please, whatever you do, heal this man. And the king of Israel is dumbfounded. <laughs> this is impossible. 
He says, here was his enemy coming to him to perform a miracle. Okay, now this is either crazy and I'm dreaming, or this is some political trick, some way for them to infiltrate our Israeli government. What was happening? How on earth am I supposed to accommodate this kind of request, the king of Israel said. Surely war is going to start again because there's nothing I can do. I have no power. And these gifts, these gifts, oh, they're beautiful. But what a ploy, a form of manipulation. The king of Israel was stupefied at the request, a request that no human could even respond to and succeed in. And the king was stuck with Naaman and his entourage in his court, begging for healing. And you see, the king of Aram had made no mention of the letter in the letter about this prophet, Elisha. Even though that's exactly what the slave girl had told him all along. But, well, you know, those details get lost sometimes in the, in the transporting of, of such big jewels and pots of gold. And so the king of Israel was at a loss and terrified for his life and for his people and for the powerful king of Israel. Only impossibility existed. Well, because this letter, when it arrived, caused such a stir in the government of Israel and in the leadership of the land, that eventually this prophet, Elisha, living in another part of the the country hears about the despair and he comes to the aid of the king and he offers to help. And Naaman is then told to go to the prophet Elisha's house. And so Naaman gets out his GPS and he works his way to Elisha's home. He shows up at Elisha's home with his entourage and a few leftover gifts from the king of Israel. And his impressive entourage announces, the great commander Naaman is here to see you. And although the king of Israel seemed quite stressed and really quite impressed by by Naaman's visit, the prophet Elisha doesn't even bother to come out of his house. He just stays inside. He doesn't even greet this great man. But Elisha does at least send him a message. He says, tell that Naaman guy to wash himself seven times in the Jordan River, and then his flesh will be restored. Well, Naaman, the great Naaman, is indignant at this treatment of Elisha. Naaman is perturbed, to put it mildly, by the suggestion of how healing can occur. What kind of ludicrous behavior is Elisha wanting him to do to go make a fool of himself by going in some public Jordan River? That water isn't even better than any of the water he had at home. My goodness, if that's all he had to do, he could have just stayed at home and dipped in a, in a river there seven times. You see, Naaman had imagined how this healing would occur. He had imagined 
as we all do when we're expecting something big, he had it all plotted out. He had imagined Elisha coming out and waving his hands with some magical abracadabra, and then the fire and the wind and the things would come around, and he would call out loud. Well, this wasn't quite what he had expected. In fact, he hadn't even seen this Elisha dude and didn't even know if he existed. Perhaps this was all a political ploy. Perhaps he was just getting the runaround by his arch enemies. Was he being made to look like a fool? The great Naaman? And of course, Naaman's pride. He's intelligent enough. He's emotionally savvy enough to know that he's been snubbed. Elisha didn't have the courtesy to come out of his house to greet this entourage, this great commander. I mean, after all, doesn't Elisha know that Naaman is that Naaman, the great general of the Arameans? Now, this sense of pride and this expectation of how all of this would take place causes Naaman to disregard Elisha's advice. (laughs) I will not be made to look like a fool in the land of Israel, the land I conquered. So he turns away in rage and says, who needs this? Not me. Let's go. How often do our expectations of the manner in which God will work in our lives gets in the way of actually experiencing God's transforming power? Naaman had expectations of how God would work. In fact, we all have expectations of how God will work or should work, especially in our own lives. And sometimes we even have the nerve and audacity to tell God exactly how it would be perfect if God would just do it this way. So much so that we don't keep our eyes and our ears and our minds and our hearts open to hearing when God has a path for us to follow or an answer to prayer or an opportunity for healing. Sometimes our own pride and our own expectations get in the way, like Naaman's did. But somehow, through this incredibly emotional rejection of Elisha's instructions, one of Naaman's No, not top officials, but one of Naaman's lowliest servants, probably the men bringing up the tale of this entourage, has listened to all of this. He's observed all of this. And somehow or another, he had the courage to speak up to Naaman, to point out to Naaman, Naaman, are you forgetting how much you want to be healed? He knew that, he, it, that Naaman would go to great lengths if Elijah would have come out and said, you have to drink this super crazy concoction full of seaweed and, and dead sea salt water and all of these things, and then, um, and then I'm going to say abracadabra and you're going to be healed and you're going you're gonna to feel fire and wind and things. He would have been willing to do that. So if he would have gone to great lengths of what Elisha said... 
shouldn't he at least give this simple formula a chance to succeed? I mean, come on, what could it hurt? Amazingly, the great Naaman swallows his pride. And listening to the voices of the less powerful, the ones without money or influence, the ones who have no education or stature, Naaman, in his deepest desire for healing, listens to the words of a slave girl, a foreigner, and to his own lowly servant, and is healed through baptism in the Jordan River, just as Elisha had said. And like the leper in the Luke passage, Naaman has such deeply profound joy that he returns to Elisha. And he stands before him, and interestingly enough, oh, this time Elisha comes out to greet him, right? Elisha's willing to come out and meet the entourage this time. And there's Naaman with the most beautiful boy-like skin you can ever imagine. And there is Naaman saying to Elisha, not so much thank you, but thank your God the God of Israel, the only true God. There is no other God in all of the earth. I mean, if, if, if this happened to me, I believe. Now, Naaman's path to restoration was not a straight one. He was amendable to heeding the suggestions of a captive slave and desperate enough to travel all the way from Damascus to find a prophet at the enemy country. However, what blows my mind is what, when he was told exactly what to do. I mean, he had done all of this work to get to this point. When he was told exactly what to do, the seven simple steps to healing, Naaman said, this is crazy. I'm not doing this. He had his own idea of restoration. He had his own idea of how healing would and should occur. How often we desire healing in our lives. And we feel as though we're doing everything we can to achieve it. And we've been asking our friends and our parents and our loved ones and our small groups and perhaps even our friends' churches to pray for us. And we're feeling we're doing everything we can and we blame God for not having had it happen. But sometimes we aren't willing to always do it all. We aren't willing on top of asking God for help to also take the medicine we need to get enough sleep to go see the therapist that might indeed help us to eat the right diet to get the exercise that means getting up an hour earlier each day. Are we really willing to fall into God's grace and healing power by giving up our pride in order to receive healing. This is the way God cleanses people of their afflictions, it seems, not through the dramatic performances of a human healer, the kind that Naaman expected, but through a simple act of obedience. And we see this in both the leper story and the healing of Naaman. Sometimes healing comes when we let down our expectations of God 
or of the medical field or of the healing power of some magic super pill, and we listen for God. And in fact, both the leper and Naaman received healing, but from their healing came something greater, salvation. Salvation comes mysteriously when we submit to God's script and not our own script. When Naaman humbles himself and does the simple, even absurd thing of washing seven times in the Jordan River, it's then that he experiences the life-giving, disease-healing, redemptive power of God. Has your pride ever gotten in the way of you experiencing God's transformative power? When has choosing to intentionally humble yourself, as opposed to just parading with your feet of clay while you attempt to preserve your facade of strength and omniscience? When have you intentionally humbled yourself and freed God up to work in and through your life? Are you willing to do what it takes to be healed? The question that was asked of Naaman and even of the leper. Are you willing to do what it takes to receive salvation? In our individualistic, self-serving world, are you willing to admit that you are not in total control of what happens? You are not the captain of your ship. No belief in any method of positive thinking or dream boards or the American dream or winning the lottery will ever negate that fact that God is God and we are not. God still is God of our lives. And like Naaman, the sooner we realize that and willingly submit to God as our creator and savior, it is then that we will find peace. And like the leper, deep gratitude is what spawns deep, true peace. There's no other phrase that can express more appropriately what we really need to say to God than thank you. But in order to do that, we must release our own will, our own powers, our own desires, our own dreams, our own expectations, our own fears, our own cautions, and say, I'm willing, Lord, to do what you want, to find healing emotionally, spiritually, physically through you. Because until I allow myself to be healed in you, I will continue to search for help and answers through other methods. Now, the challenge that I had most with these stories this week was not the fact that they were healed, but I thought about all the other people that are not recorded in the Bible who went and asked for healing but did not receive it. The challenge with healing stories in the Bible is that in the end, people are healed. We don't have story upon story upon story in the Bible of those people who prayed and went and perhaps even heard about this washing in the Jordan River seven times, at least they heard it through the grapevine, and did everything that they thought was right, and even went to Jesus, but they weren't healed. 
those stories don't seem to make it into the Bible as often. And so one tendency we have when we hear stories of miraculous healing is that we model our actions after those who have been healed, and that's good and right, and I think encouraged by our reading of Scripture. Or we begin to wonder, if only I had more faith like Naaman or like the leper in Luke, I would be healed or my loved one would be healed. And it is one of the most difficult things about healing stories in the Bible. No matter what the result of the story is in the Bible, we know that in real life, some are healed and some are not. And the same issue, interestingly, existed for Luke and it for Jesus in the book of Luke. And in fact, Jesus knew that people were thinking this, and so he addresses it. Soon after Jesus begins his ministry, he returns to Nazareth, his hometown. And he began to say to his followers, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all the people spoke well of him. They were amazed at his gracious words that came from his mouth. But he said, the truth is, there were many widows in Israel at the time of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months and there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to the widow of Zarephath. There were also many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman of Syrian. When the people heard this, all in the synagogue were full of rage. They got up and drove him out of town and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might hurl him off the cliff. So Jesus, too, raised the issue that there are many who desire healing, but not all are healed. And unfortunately for us, Jesus raised the issue, but he left the question unanswered as to why. And it enraged his listeners so much that they tried to kill him. I was sharing this story with a friend of mine this week and talking with him about this challenge of mine and bringing in Luke 4. And I said, I'm almost afraid to preach this because what if the people respond in the same way that they did to Jesus? The friend reminded me, it's one of the silver linings, about preaching to pacifists. <laughs> we hold the story in tension with the insight we gain from today's stories and say that healing is mysterious and holy, just like our salvation. Our worship this morning and every other morning is a leap of faith an act of coming together to say that we don't know what is to come tomorrow. And some of us have been pr hit pretty hard this week. Stuff is happening in our lives that is pretty painful to swallow. Maybe yesterday, 
Or maybe it even happened last year or a few years ago. Some of us have some pretty deep wounds needing healing. Physical, emotional, sexual, spiritual, relational. But all of us, like Naaman, can take the leap of faith and follow the words of the less heard voices in our world. We don't hear these words in the news very often. Instead, we hear words like, the government owes me at least this, or they deserve to be invaded. Look what they did. These are the prominent voices that we hear. Not the voices of the alienated, the prisoners, the servants, the disempowered. But amazingly, despite his greatness, it was the disempowered voices that led Naaman to true healing and to one true God. And even though we know it, it's hard to not listen to the dominant powerful voices in our culture today telling us that healing will be found through power, through popularity, through sex, from being number one, through violence, through money. And instead, God says to us, and sometimes God says it through the lowliest of voices, the quiet ones, and we have to be paying attention to hear it. We have to want it, and perhaps want it so much that we don't pretend to know what healing will look like when it comes. And then God says, come, wash yourselves in my water. Come, let my spirit overflow on you and in you. Come, wash yourselves in my love, and then you will find true healing. Amen.